Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. Good to be with you again today. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined by my co-host and our pastor, Phil Henry, uh, as I'm joined every single week by, by Phil. So welcome. Uh, good afternoon, Phil. How are you good doing afternoon. today? Yeah, we're recording a little later this week due to various circumstances, but it's good to see you, Tim. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, super excited for our conversation today. And, uh, you know, before we jump into any, and we have a lot to talk about, not only from the sermon this week, but it was the last sermon in 25 sermons on First Peter. So this is the last deeper cut on First Peter, at least for this go around. Right. Until your commentary comes out or something. Um, but before we get into any of the topical stuff in the conversation for today, we are joined, graced, if you will, by two special guests in studio today. So, Phil, would you do the honors, as, as always, for introducing our guests? I will. So I want to say good afternoon to Olivia Kyler and her dad, Rich. Good afternoon, folks. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, Rich, you, you <laughs> had every opportunity to stay away for a second week, but you've come back and you've you've brought your lovely daughter with you. So thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having us. I told you, you always leave us one more. There you go. <laughs> um, Olivia, since you're new to the podcast, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? How old are you? Uh, I'm 13. And what grade are you in? I'm going into eighth grade. Awesome. So it's your last year of middle school. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> middle school is that Time, for those of us who've been through it, it's that time of our schooling that we want to get over with as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, do you play any sports? I play soccer, basketball, and softball. Whoa, three-sport athlete. Oh, man. Let's hear it for the girls. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks for joining us today. And, Tim, uh, if it's okay with you, I thought maybe Olivia could start us off by reading the scripture from Sunday. Sure, that'd be great, if you wouldn't mind, Olivia. So go okay. ahead and tell us the reference, Olivia, and then go ahead and read it. Okay, First Peter 5, 12-14. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Amen. What a way to end a, a letter. It's, I get chills, honestly, with this passage. Uh, and I think I maybe mentioned from the pulpit I've been excited to preach this particular passage from before we started. Mm -hmm. But, uh, Tim, you, you... Well, can we pause there for one sure. second? Just because... Um, so I... I listened to the sermon in the car. I was, I was traveling this weekend with my wife and our baby, and we were hustling back from Maine to New Jersey on Sunday, and we were able to listen in live. And um, I really enjoyed the sermon, Phil, first and foremost. One of the things I enjoyed, kind of almost regardless of what you were going to say, is that you had a sermon on this passage. And obviously you weren't going to leave it out, but I feel like the postscript to a letter is sometimes just kind of thrown <laughs> thrown away. Like, oh, it's just a postscript, you know. It's not something we can glean, you know, significant truths from or learn from. So I appreciated very much you not just ending the series and after 
um, verse 11 and actually preaching this sermon, and I thought mm. it was excellent um, in, in what you shared from the Word. But it's interesting, my, my wife, because some, sometimes she'll look at it in advance, and uh, Livia, Mrs. Henry, called. She said, how are you going to preach on the diddle-dee-doos of Peter? <laughs> she said, like those diddle-dee-doos, and she kind of flicked her wrists like this, like they were. And I think it is a uh, no, no knock against Polly at all, but when you come to the, to the last parts of these New Testament letters, sometimes it's tempting to think of them as, you know, kind of irrelevant details. I think that's a little bit of what you're mm-hmm. getting at. Yeah, I think at least I'm tempted with the epistles kind of the beginning and the end are like, well, it's reading the intro and the, the, not even the closing. It's just like sincerely Peter, you know? So what am I going to get from sincerely Peter? I don't know who these people are. I don't know what that means to me anyway. So I read them. It's like I skip over it during my Bible reading, but I'm not thinking deeply (laughs) about what God's trying to tell me through 12 through 14 in first Peter. So I appreciated the fact that that was part of the series. I mean, it's the end of the book. It's the end mm-hmm. of the sermon series. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think there was a lot there that, that you were able to unpack and, and share with the church. So well, I appreciate, you, appreciate that. Um, Olivia, you can look at it again. Read verse 12 again. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So, unlike some postscripts, epistolary postscript, that's the technical term. Postscript is short for PS, right? You see that in some uh, old-fashioned handwritten letters, not necessarily in... Although I use PS sometimes in an email, too. But the epistolary postscript, the postscript of a New Testament letter, sometimes doesn't have the substantive content that Peter's does. Peter's... Peter does seem to make a, almost a purpose statement for the entire letter within his postscript. So that would have been hard to ignore. So he, he said, I've written to you, and then he tells us that's kind of a signal. Like if a teacher says to you, Olivia, this is going to be on the test, <laughs> right? You're yeah. picking up your pencil and writing that down, right? It's like, oh, I, need, I need to, kind of Peter saying, you want to know what this letter is about? This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So Peter is giving us a heads up that this isn't just maybe an ordinary postscript. So this is, um, it sounds like maybe your argument then would be that this is not a summary, but at least a, a, a theme of the entire letter, in, in or he's alluding to, to that being the case. Okay, so um, yes and no. <laughs> I knew that was going to be your answer. Did so. you? Yeah, well, we've talked about this a little Have bit we? before. Okay. Slightly, because I think I believe that some commentators would argue... That this is the theme. Right. And, and you're taking... We talked about this last week, was that 11 is really the end of the main I argument so. of the letter. So I think... If Silvanus or Silas, as I, as I explained in the sermon, helped Peter write this significantly, and I'm not sure he did, but if he did, Peter, and it may have potentially 
was, may have been the scribe or the amanuensis for the whole letter. Again, I think Peter wrote the whole letter with Silas's uh, personal, fraternal encouragement, but it's largely Peter's composition. That's the result of my own thinking here. But if Silas or Silvanus had a hand in writing it, then Peter's saying, everything that has just been written, I agree with, and you need to do it. So it's almost like a, like a double pump where Sylvanus has, through Peter's conversation with him, has helped to compose this letter, and Peter's saying, absolutely, amen. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, he's not stating the theme, he's referring you back to the letter. Mm -hmm. If Peter wrote most of it, or all of it, which I think he did, he's doing the same thing. He said, everything that I've just told you, I meant it. And it's a brief exhortation, so it's, it's a charge. And it's not going to be easy for you to do the things that I've just been writing about. You need to hold, stand fast. I, I use the, uh, I don't know if you've see, uh, seen Master, have you seen the Master and Commander movie, Rich, with Russell Crowe as uh, Jack Aubrey on a British sailing vessel? No, I haven't seen You didn't see that? Tim, have you seen this one? I've seen, I've seen most of it. Okay. Yeah. The payoff scene is when the, that old grizzled sailor has the, the four letters tattooed on two hands, stand fast, hold fast, stand firm in the grace of God. Yeah. Which has always struck me as a bit of an irony. How do you hold strong onto something that is unconditionally given to you? Grace mm. doesn't seem like something that requires work, in other words. And yet, Peter's saying, our natural tendency is to slip away from God's grace i.e. slip away from the gospel requires focused attention to stand firm in the gospel, in the grace of God. So I think Peter's saying, I've explained the gospel to you and how it works itself out in your calling to live life. And in your case, Olivia, a student in public school, right? Private. Private school. Yeah. But you see plenty of non-Christian attitudes and behaviors in a private Christian school, am I right? Yeah, a lot. So it takes a daily choice for a young woman in the school setting to stay focused on the gospel. And how do you do that? you got to stand firm in it. Right, yeah. So I think that's what Peter's doing here, more or less, with, with that key phrase. Hmm. So not a summary, just a just a kind of um, a doubling down. I think so. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Doubling down. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like a reaffirmation of the conclusion. That's precisely. <laughs> precisely. We said no mic drops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there it is, man. I'll just hit the she stop. Just, hit the stop button. We just can... earned a ticket back with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Um, Don't worry, Rich. We all are eclipsed by our children's achievements. That's the goal of parenting. So I know you're a proud dad. Very. <laughs> Before we get into the the sermon, because we haven't talked about. We talked about the verses, but we didn't talk about what you preached about the verses. Mm -hmm. Just real quick, because it was the last sermon in a series, and we've been talking about First Peter since January. Hard overall, to, hard to believe. Overall, like um, from a preacher's perspective, are you excited to move on to something new, or are you just 
not disappointed, but like, you know what I mean? Like, oh man, we're done, Peter, kind of thing. Where is your, how you feel about it? Last year we went through James, so we're kind of doing this slow walk through the Catholic epistles. Uh, Catholic means that they have a general audience. Um, so Peter's written to a bunch of churches in Bithynia and Pontus and Cappadocia and all these Asia. You get that in First Peter 1, verse 2. Uh, Galatians is written to Galatia, although most likely there was a number of churches in the Asia Minor region. The, the little letter of Galatians also, uh, it's about the same length as Peter, mm -hmm. but it was a specific Ephesus also was written to a church. Corinth is a city in Greece. Thessaloniki is a city in Thessalonica. This is a Catholic epistle. We did. I was devastated when we were done with James. Uh, he had gotten so much into my blood and into my bones. I felt like I was leaving my best friend. Hmm. Peter um, feels more like a father to me. So it's time to, mm. you know, I've sat at his feet and I've learned from him, but I'm very happy and content. It's like a good meal for me mm. as the preacher. So I didn't have as much um, grief and anguish in being done with Peter. I think I also did a little more preparation going into Peter pastorally than I did with James. James was a, a scholarly effort on the research side for me. And so I was so far into James I couldn't yeah. find my way out well that was your sabbatical was about James it was basically so yeah. you spent how many weeks yeah quite a few doing nothing but I remember you you came back and you, you I forget how many pages it was but it was how many thousands of pages you've read and I'm like you did what this is yeah. this was your time your time of rest was reading yeah. 5,000 pages of yeah. commentaries on James my joke was everything in English well almost everything everything important in English so, well, I, I've been um, extremely blessed by James, but, you know, in particular since First Peter is still at hand here by the sermon, this, the sermon series on First Peter this year. I think it was um, excellent and timely for our church as well. Um, I'm disappointed that it's over, to be honest with you, but we have all the recordings, so. I just go back and listen to it again. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also excited for, you know, this fall, kind of the bridge sermon series. And we won't talk about that today. Maybe that can be a conversation for next week, mm -hmm. um, kind of what, what's coming ahead. Sure. But um, what a way to end. Um, again, not that you made up something. You just preached the text. But I thought what a fitting ending to first Peter to talk about the family of God. Mm. So mm. Amen. Yeah, I mean, um, um the Tolkien has a beautiful poem, you know, The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien is the author of that great fantasy story. Well, he's written other things, too. One of the things he wrote is a poem called Leaf by Niggle, N-I-G-G-L-E. And Niggle is a, like a creature. He's a, he's a writer and, or an artist. And 
he just starts drawing a leaf and essentially it turns into a tree because this image is given to him. And it's Tolkien's way of talking about the muses, which have the message in Greek mythology, and the poet or the prophet in, in the Greek myth receives the message, and it's you're just a messenger. And I felt like this sermon really kind of just was given to me mm-hmm. in that way, um, and I just had to bring it. And it seemed really important for our church, certainly important for my life personally. That's always, you know, I'm always the first recipient of the of the sermon, and um, so yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that God gave us this message. Christ, I think, spoke to our church. So maybe just a quick summary, um, if we could, for those who haven't listened to it yet. Sure. So again, you know, we've already alluded to the fact that it's a a postscript. So um, not that there's obviously nothing there there there's substance there but it's not like peter being blatant with some type of teaching per se um, or a direct exhortation to do something or not do something Mm -hmm. so um you know what, what god gave you to preach was about the family of god we see that through the people who are referenced there and then also kind of how peter is telling them to engage with one another, mm-hmm. I guess I could put it that way. I don't mm-hmm. know. Do you have that's a better good. summary? Oh, that's good. So there's a there's descriptive. He's describing Sylvanus and his relationship to him. He's describing Mark. He's describing his church mm-hmm. in Rome under the code name. It's not really a code name that it was supposed to be secret. Babylon isn't a secret name, but it's a theologically coded name. To right. communicate truth about the nature of the church in a fallen world. Right. So th- this is a, a poor analogy, but it would be like the Big Apple kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows that you're talking about New York, but you're not calling it New York. Right. So this has more weight, the- theological weight right. behind right. it. But right. That's it. It wouldn't have been unknown to the no. audience what he was or talking about. He's not trying to keep it secret from the Roman authorities is kind of the main point I'm making. There. Oh, gotcha. It's not Babylon because he would get the letter confiscated, perhaps. Mm-hmm. How much is that in keeping, not not to turn into a, a nerdy conversation, but how much is that in keeping with his opening of the elect exiles? Like, is that, is it extremely thematic in that regard that he's it's using Babylon? Balance. So yeah. the first two verses... And the last two verses, um, if you can imagine someone care, like an old um, farmer carrying a bucket of water across a pole on his shoulders, and you'd want them to be largely the same weight, otherwise you're tipping, right? So he begins by addressing the letter to elect exiles in these, I think it's six or seven Roman provinces. Um, and he ends with this theologically coded term, Babylon, which is the biblical definition of exile. So it's a, it's a perfectly balanced opening and closing to the letter. Brilliant, actually. And it, it's, it's, Tim, it's how we know that his reference to these exilic Christians is not historical but theological 
So it's a theological exile, not mm -hmm. the ancient Jewish exiles who never returned to Babylon in history. Mm. We're taking that historical reality of the historical exile and we're extracting Christological, Christ-centered meaning from the Old Testament event of exile. So, Rich, Olivia, when Moses led, this is an example, not the exile, but the exodus, another big E in, in the Old Testament. So you remember the exodus. Jews are in Egypt, right? And God calls Moses to lead my people out. Remember that? Uh -huh. He leads them out of Egypt. Ten plagues later, they finally leave. The last plague is the plague of the firstborn. That's where we get the Passover lamb with the blood over the lintel of the doorway. And as they leave, even in the midst of the funeral cries of all the dead in Egypt, Pharaoh changes his mind and pursues the Jews. And God does what to the Red Sea? Parts. Parts it. And then they pass through the Red Sea. And then what happens to the soldiers who chase them through the Red Sea? They get crushed by the ocean. They get back. crushed and they drown and they perish. So this is the Exodus. And that's a 30-second version. What we see in the New Testament is taking the history of the Exodus, which, which was an event, you know, centuries ago, and drawing out Christological meaning. So instead of Moses leading the Jews out of Egypt and history, we have Jesus leading his people out of the slavery of sin. Do you see what I did there? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's called a Christocentric interpretation or Christological. Redemptive historical is another phrase. These are technical terms that are just saying we're reading the Old Testament in the light of the new. Types of Christ, kind of. Bingo. Bingo. So just some thoughts on that from either you or Rich. Sounds like you've heard of this, Olivia, but thoughts on reading the Old Testament in light of the New Testament? Is that something you've heard of before? Well, I learned a lot about it at my school Okay. because I have a Bible class. Okay. So one of the last things we went over in the last quarter of school was, so we studied the Old Testament and we looked back and saw all the stories that we went through and how they led and like kind of like foreshadowed Christ coming. It was really cool. So that's a great word, foreshadow. Our pastor also uh, taught the, uh, is it the chestnut to the oak tree? Oh, from Ezekiel? Uh, you can see Christ all the way back. Oh, I see what you're saying. And you come forward. You know, so, so using the chestnut the and the oak right. tree is like the chestnut is the seed. Right. And not just that it foreshadowed Christ, but Christ was there when it happened. So Very good point. So when, when, we, would do the, uh, when we would do a sermon, all our studying, we would look for Christ. You know, um, in the beginning, the world was with God, and the world was God. And John then, one one. Yeah. And then you go through, and it's us, um, somewhere else in Genesis. So we look for Christ all the way back, not just um, he, he, a foretelling of Him coming, and He was never anywhere before. You know, so that. So this this goes beyond the importance here, Rich. Is it's not just looking for explicit prophecies of Christ. So, for example, Isaiah 53 is an explicit prophecy of Christ. 
which is to say, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one of us to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Who is Isaiah speaking of? This is from Acts chapter 8, the right. Ethiopian eunuch. I just read it, so um, that was what I was reading daily. Um, so these last three verses actually remind me of a lot of stuff in Acts. So every time, um, like Savannah is my faithful brother, every time that there was something new, when Paul came back from um, One of his the Gentiles, yeah. he always went back to the synagogue and he said, brethren and whatever, come, and they were taught. It wasn't just like me. It was never one by themselves. Look what I did. It was good with two. So I don't know if Mark went with Sylvanus, but that reminded me of, it's the, it's the perfect ending to the story. It really um, is, yeah. And it's following the same format, even though somebody else wrote this. Did he write Acts? I don't think he wrote Acts, right? Peter, Peter did not write right. Acts. Luke was the historian that right. so basically an, interviewed Peter. There's right. another example of the Holy Spirit keeping the Bible yes. in concert, not just, hey, man wrote it, so it's a story. No, so. so I want to get back to Old Testament, but you've opened up a, a new little concept that makes Peter's ending, Tim, so satisfying, which is at all points, Peter is um, taking the threads, which if you can imagine each verse or Olivia having like five or six green, yellow, blue, orange threads coming out of it. I'm a visual person so like verse 12 has like six multicolored threads Peter is taking the threads of his letter and he's reaching back into Acts and drawing a loop right. with Sylvanus and Mark that's what you're saying and so we have in this short compact description of Peter's companions in his situation and circumstances Sylvanus, Mark, Babylon, the Holy Kiss um, peace. We have in each one of these key words threads that are connecting us to other to the Gospels, to the Acts, to Paul's letters. Holy kiss is Paul's phrase. Peter says is the only one that uses the phrase kiss of love, but it's the same kind of tactile embrace. So he's connecting at all points, really through the whole epistle to him. Right. Mm -hmm. And that to me refers to Christ um, when he said They'll know your mind how you love one another. So kind That's of right. brings that into balance. That's right. So, um, Olivia, back back to Christological reading of the Old Testament or reading the old in light of the new. I gave you an example with the Exodus. What I actually said in the sermon is that most people cannot do that with the exile. And I've said, and I think I've said it from the pulpit at Mercy Hill before, when a Christian finally understands the exile, the whole Bible opens up like a flower. Yes, it does. Yeah. Until you understand the exile, you will not understand the Bible. So I'm going to attempt to do, and I may have done this in the sermon. I don't remember, but I certainly thought about it. But let's, let's do a little, Chris, a 30, I did a 30 seconds on the Exodus. Let's do 30 seconds on the exile, okay? Okay. So King Nebuchadnezzar, familiar name, mm -hmm. was the ruler of Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. Right. 
and God sent the Babylonian Empire in three waves starting in 605 BC and culminating in 587 BC. Three waves to capture and bring back the Jews out of their homeland in the promised land of Israel to Babylon. So wave one was like 605, wave two was like 600, and the third and final wave when the temple was destroyed and the land was left desolate was 587. And this is taken all together, these three exilic waves. Exile meaning removal from my home. So my example has been if the Russians or the Chinese came and invaded America and depopulated our land, or maybe just say the East Coast, and all of us were forced to live in Beijing or Moscow or the Siberian you know, tundra, and we're now living in Siberia under the Russian regime, under Putin, and the entire eastern seaboard has no people in it, or just the poor people. That would be exile for us. And we're sitting here in Siberia thinking, remember the shore. Remember going to see, you know, to Center City, Philadelphia. Those were the days. Remember water ice. Remember cheesesteaks. Remember Thanksgiving with family. Remember, you know, all the fun times we had. Remember church. And we'd be telling our stories in exile about our homeland. So that's what happened to the Jews under Babylon. Peter is addressing his letter 600 years later to the elect exiles in Asia from Rome. Nothing to do with Babylon. Peter was not in Babylon. Peter was in Rome. He's taking the, the historical event of the exile, much like the other New Testament writers take the historical event of the Exodus, and saying our situation is analogous or similar to the exiles of the Jews. They were not at home, and they had to figure out a way to keep the faith in a foreign land. So what's the foreign land in Peter? It's the Roman Empire. That's a very short application then to us. What's our foreign land today? The world. The world, or, and I said the United States. So, Rich, you've served in the armed forces. You're, you're a patriot and a veteran, and you love our country. But I think you would agree with me when I said from the pulpit, yes, God our comes first. first citizenship is to God. It's not country, family, God. I would say it's God, family, country. But maybe we could debate the first, the second and the third, but God has to come first. Thoughts on that from either one of you? I'd actually be curious, um, how do you feel as, as a U.S. citizen thinking about your own Christian faith? Have you had to, Olivia, wrestle with some of those ideas of what comes first in my life? Or, Rich, how did you wrestle with that as a, a believer serving in the military? Yeah. I mean... Uh at a Christian school, it's like there's like half the people there are actually there to learn about Christ and half the people aren't. Like their parents just put them in there because mm -hmm. they want them, but they aren't listening. Right. So it's kind of like, well, do I want friends or do I want to follow Christ? So it's kind of like this whole thing with like your friends. It's like, how am I supposed to stay faithful to Christ when my friends aren't? It's, it's kind of hard to choose one, but at the end of the day, it's like, 
it's better to be lonely with Christ than have a ton of like fake friends wow. than have no And you're never redemption. lonely with Christ. Correct. Uh, I like to say you may feel lonely, but you're never alone. Because the loneliness is a true feeling. Even Jesus felt lonely, mm-hmm. but he was never alone. And wrestling with your feelings is exactly what you're challenged with. I want to share this. Uh, again, inspirational comments, live. But here's Paul. Ha- I'm sorry, Peter had his faithful Savannah's, his faithful Silas. Silas was a faithful brother because he's a Christian. He's a faithful brother because he was born again. He was part of the heavenly family. He was faithful because he was filled with faith. He knew that he didn't have his best life in every sense. He knew that the life was the glory that was soon to be revealed. But right now it was hard. So that's a good quality for a friend is someone that you can look to who will remind you the glory hasn't come yet. Hang on, stand fast. Sylvanus was faithful because he was holy. Be holy as I am holy. Sylvanus was faithful. He was ransomed by the blood, First Peter 1.18. He was an honorable friend. So he had uh, high standards for himself and probably helped Peter in upholding those things. So I think all that to me when you're looking for male friends and female friends in your school context, you're looking for people who have these qualities like uh, Sylvanus had. What do you think, Tim? It's hard to find. It's hard for us to do that, too. Um, but I think that's, that's why there's so much... Um, that's why I've enjoyed First Peter so much. There's so much hope there you know we're we're exiles you know when you were just talking about that Phil and well what is your home you know Peter's constantly reminding you well your home is ready already ready for you it's waiting for you and you can experience that now through the church through the spirit so we're, we're that already not yet that we've been talking about a lot um, but I love that Peter kind of gets down to brass tacks and says, all right, but you're still here. You know, your, your reality is you are in exile. Your reality is that, um, it's going to be hard to find people who are going to be, um, these honorable friends in the faith. So this is what you do. This is what you do about it. And it's important that we take heed and listen to what Peter has to say, even for us. But I really love that about Peter because it's constantly, it's like this, um, I love uh, Lewis and in one of the books, I forget which one it is, it might have been the, the first one, the um, magician's nephew. But when, when uh, the world is being created, the That's Narnian it. world is being created. It's a noise that they hear. It's like this humming in the background. And it gets louder and louder, and then creation starts popping up all around them. But it's like this in-the-background humming that you can't 
it's a sweet noise. It's not like annoying or jarring, but it's constantly there. And so in First Peter, I feel like mm. there's con- this constant reminder that we are in exile, but that's okay because we have a home in heaven that's ready for us and it's secure. But even the, as that's in the background, as a hope, an ever, an ever ready hope for us, we have what's in front of us. And Peter's like, let's roll up our sleeves and get mm. in here, mm. you know. And that's why I love particularly how we ended this because, you know, I, I struggle with the same thing, Olivia, you know, just friends. And I'm so thankful to our church, for our church, because friends that I've had growing up, they've all faded away. I mean, I'm still in contact with some of them, but my friends are like my brothers and sisters in Christ here who are going to do those very things that we were just talking about. And, um, and I need that. I need that to roll up my sleeves to do what Peter's telling me to do. Mm-hmm. So I was, that's what I was trying to get to with all of that. But, um, it is hard. It's really hard, um, to, to, um, to find those folks mm-hmm. and to, and to kind of not just sit idly by. So, um, I'm pivoting a little bit here, Rich, but Silas or Sylvanus is actually a term that we use in one of our men's gatherings, the Samson Society. You've come to a few of the Samsons. You remember hearing about? Yes. Maybe just give a quick 30, you know, what happens at Samson stays at Samson is our joke, but a quick kind of highlight overview. What is the Samson Society for our men? Um, it's a gathering that, uh, for men to come together, believers in Christ, um, to actually just be you and tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, not really um, put up a facade. You just tell the truth, be honest with your feelings. Um, other people might chime in with um, what worked for them. But they're not trying to fix you. They're not trying to give you advice. It's just a a non-judgmental open floor mat where, and to be honest, it's refreshing where Mm -hmm. you can just talk and be you and not not be judgmental. Um, A silence is somebody, um, I don't want to use accountability partner because um, I I think it goes beyond that. I think somebody's going to be honest with you when you're not doing what you call you on your crap support you with your stuff, um, check in with you, make sure what's going on. And not in a uh, checklist kind of way, a pat me on the back kind of way. The way it's done, it's kind of like, um, it's confidential and it's just you and that person. Mm. Amen. So uh, the phrase from the Samson literature is a Silas is a trustworthy companion traveling companion for this stretch of the road. He doesn't want to fix you uh, and he he won't necessarily play this part in your life forever, but for the season of life. Uh, Really an integral part of our Samson meetings and maybe one that we need to continue to emphasize, Tim, because I think guys love to come to the Samson meeting, but it's a little bit of a second commitment 
to actually check in on a daily basis mm -hmm. or at least every other day with the stylus. And you speak to uh, maybe as somebody who's helped not only benefited from our Samson ministry, but actually helped organize it. Did you have any insights on the kind of hearing a bit of Silas's biography? Um, I think it's a helpful reminder for us of the importance of that person and being that person too. So um, if I if I think of who Silas was to Peter, yeah, then it's like my first thought is, oh man, I, I need someone like that in my life. But then very quickly after that, my thought is, I need to be able, like, who am I? Who am I that to mm. right as well? Mm. So because if I'm just on the receiving end, because I'm sure that Silas and Peter doesn't talk about this, but I'm sure it's Silas probably felt the same way about Peter, you know. Um, and so it's a mutual, it's a mutual thing. And it's like I was saying just a few moments ago, I think it's a difficult thing, you know, even practically speaking, going back to Samson's society, we encourage, you know, it's like, Hey, have a Silas for this season. That's work. That's, I mean, checking in, even, even with current technology, I could send a text message or leave a voicemail. That's intentional, remembering, caring, thoughtfulness to do that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's work, let alone being vulnerable and sharing your life with someone and sharing in their life with them. Just the act of being connected in that way is, a, is, a, can be a challenge. You know, we get too busy, we get distracted and we lose focus. So, you know, kind of add all those things together and you, you start to realize, well, this is difficult, but that's where there's so much blessing in it and we see that very concretely in peter and what he's saying about silas and we see that you know in in the rest of the, you know read acts about silas and mm -hmm. you learn a whole lot more about who this man was i thought you did a good job of kind of giving some of that context um and connecting the dots i, I may have gone on a little too long on that point i realized i really got into the silas point so but it, i think it's important and um, any other thoughts, Olivia? You've got your sermon notes, so A, just shout out to all the young people that are listening. Not everybody is a note taker, and that's certainly not a requirement in church. You know, God doesn't love you more if you take notes, and I know you know this. But for some people, it does help them focus. Um, any other thoughts on either Silas or Mark or Babylon from your notes that you might think would be helpful for our listeners, Olivia? that not only should you have like a Silas in your life but you should treat everybody as your Silas not to like just like lean on them whenever you want but you know like check up on them regularly like how you said the church should be a brotherhood mm -hmm. and all be like just comfortable with one another and have that fellowship that you need in your life and you know that's not easy you're you're fairly new to Mercy Hill yeah. and in your old church everybody knew you and you knew everyone and it particularly for a young woman 
it's got to be a challenge walking into a big group of people and not knowing any faces and names. It helps to have parents that are with you, but my hat's off to you for making that effort. And um, any tips for a young person who finds himself or herself in a new church? How do you how do you make it through that initial awkward phase? How do you what are what are some things that a person can do? Um. How have you tried to help your kids, Rich, on this? I try to be open. Um, I try to get her out of her comfort zone. Um, during past in the piece, I'm like, yo, get up. Go meet two people you don't know. Okay. Say hi. <laughs> uh, they believe I overshare. But sure. um, going back to Silas and all that, I, I, the, we're not really taught how to love. We want love, but you're not really taught how to love. So you're taught how to love by how you grow up and how it's imprinted on you, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Um, this kind of love is different. It is. Um, and when you get into that kind of open, kind of loving thing where you can just be you and don't matter, when, when you're comfortable in your own skin, it Amen. doesn't matter what people think. And I think that you're, you can be genuine. But that also helps you love like Christ. It also helps you worship better, I believe. Mm. Because, you know, um, I love you guys to death, but you no, know, I love Christ more. Here, yeah. um, here. And to set the example for them, even though they kid me about it, but... You know, oversharing, you no know, talk. Sometimes I forget what I'm talking about. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, and kids learn. We did this with our parents, Tim, but we learn to, uh, we survive our parents. You will survive your parents, hopefully. And then you, uh, you begin to sort out, okay, this was a good example for my parents, and there are a few things that your dad hasn't done perfectly, and you'll be the first to say it, you know, keep, keep what's good in me that's from the lord and then the things that aren't my sinful nature feel free to just leave those things behind and so you know we know that um, the teens in our church such as yourself are observing that's the same with me i know i'm being watched and people are noticing my example and if you haven't seen it already i'm i'm a sinner saved by grace just like your dad is just like mr pasek is so we all are kind of trying to be family together, to your point, Olivia. It's not a perfect family, but um, hopefully it's one where we keep coming back to Jesus and, and his, his love for us. Speaking of love, can I pivot, Tim, to the holy kiss? Because I'm dying to get talking about <laughs> uh, smooching in the uh, synagogue. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and, and pivot to that one. Okay, so thoughts on the holy? You, you listened to the sermon. What mm -hmm. what stood out to you there? The silence. <laughs> Crickets. It's like. Um. I think. I don't. I don't know what stood out to me, Phil. I thought that was the point. To be honest with you, that I felt like you emphasize more than the other than the other ones and i don't know whether you were just jazzed about that one or maybe that was just my perception i, I was jazzed about it um 
Whenever I see men kissing, <laughs> I just can't get enough of it. Well, you you gave us plenty of alternatives. I did. Yeah. Yeah, you were this extremely like, um, I was practical in your application. I was. Yeah. Which is good. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's helpful. I think it's also helpful that you did spend the time you did and the focus on it. Not that we would brush aside like it's unimportant, but that it can be uncomfortable a little bit, you know, just the idea. And again, just being that close and connected to somebody, even if you're not like best of friends, but we are, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So we have a bond, we have a connection that is, um, you, you can't be more connected to another human being than if you're in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like you're part of one body, literally. So swapping so. saliva shouldn't be that big a deal. <laughs> I, this didn't make the sermon. Um, real quick, Rich, and then I want you to chime in. There's a study that shows that babies from age 8 to 13 months, they know who to rely on for their care and protection based on several psychological studies and sociological studies, based on who they share saliva with. And so a child knows from the earliest days who he or she can look to for protection Hmm. based on that lip and mouth contact. And again, that didn't make it into the message, but it was part of my, it was like an aha moment because God's designed us this way. So what's the analogy for the body of Christ? Who do we look to for protection? It's the people we share the holy kiss with, whatever, however, what yeah, however version that, of yeah. that is in your cultural context. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned a ritual kiss too, Rich. So two men, hands on shoulders, tapping foreheads. I think most of our guys could probably do that. You can at least tap my forehead. Come on. Yeah, sometimes it might be a headbutt. Yeah, right. Go ahead, Rich. But you also brought up, um, you want Mercy Hill to be a diverse church. And looking out, well, not even just taking what's already there. If you want to welcome people from a different culture, there's other cultures, not just Africa, where they hold hands. In the Middle East, they hold hands. They do. Um, They kiss one another. Um, You can't, if you're going to be shocked and affronted by that especially in the body of christ all you're going to be doing is selling hypocrisy um so you can't um we accept speaking in tongues where you can communicate because you're filled with the holy spirit and if we're called to one love one another like this then we shouldn't be affronted at first i thought you were going for shock value and when it got quiet you got a little pumped up and i'm sitting there i'm like you know I totally get it, where you're, where you're going with it. And I wasn't shocked. Now, if I didn't go to Iraq, maybe, I might have been like, yeah, okay. You know, and Cheryl's like, hey, don't kiss the pastor. You know what I mean? When you get there, you know, just being, you know, just being funny. But, right. Um, we need moments like that where we have to think beyond us. Mm. And I think Peter does that by saying, we're brothers, we're all the same, even though we're not here. So if Christ is not going to come back until all the earth has a chance to hear the gospel, what's that church going to look like? You know, so we're going to have to accept stuff outside of ourselves 
and our our worldview would have to change instead of just New Jersey, South New Jersey, or wherever you're from view. Mm-hmm. And I think the world is really pushing an agenda to mock it. You know, Satan's a mocker. He's mocking everything with this, you know. So when you see two guys kiss, first thing you think, oh my goodness, please do that in your own room. And it could be a godly kind of kiss. So we definitely want to distinguish from the erotic. Well, I don't think you would French kiss a guy. I mean, that's not the kiss of. No, that's not the holy kiss. It's not a kiss of love. No. But there's nothing inherently transgressive or perverse about two men kissing on the lips if the intention is, as I think I pointed out, a ritual kiss, mutual. You don't just go in and kiss somebody without permission unless it's obviously understood, i.e. mutual, in a worship service, right? More often than not, I'm guessing, it's going to be the sort of classic kiss on either cheek but certainly a kiss on the lips is not um, off the table for Christian behavior. Some things we can say is absolutely forbidden to Christians. This is not one of them. I wonder, though, if we saw more ritual, loving, Christian, friendly, um, agape, humble, mutual kissing between men, if it might not change the conversation about same-sex attraction and homosexual perversion that goes on because there is a legitimate expression of male intimacy that's I think somewhat lacking in the church that's where I was definitely trying to push Um, there's people from my my other church I really really miss I love worshiping with them so when I see them it's a very exuberant hug yep all right. Exactly. And very. Yeah. And I told you, uh, I was telling somebody, when people would come to church, like, infrequently, I'm like, yo, I, I would yell. And people were like, ah, rubber. Right. Hey, when I get to heaven, I want somebody to yell, hey, Rich is here. You know right. what I mean? Like, hey. Right, right. You know? Throw a party. Not just like, Right. You know, but. Do you have any thoughts on the holy kiss aspect of the sermon? Was that new thinking for you, or does it did it touch a nerve in your own mind? Or um, I, I don't know. So maybe some gives you some new things to think about. Yeah, uh, never really heard a sermon about it. it. Was definitely new, but not in a bad way. When you greet a girlfriend, do you usually somebody you love a lot, a close friend? Do you embrace her, or what's the normal? in your school or in your life either like a hug or like a side hug uh-huh something like yeah, a hug something or, warm right yeah now i did tim i did encourage marital kissing as a tangent was that out of place or was i just kind of taking some pastoral prerogatives there <laughs> i think i think you were fine okay i wasn't in the room oh, to object right, either right, but right. yeah i didn't uh, i didn't comment on the youtube okay. video at that point okay no, Turn I, off I think the it was mic. Fun. I think yeah. it was. I think it was. <laughs> I think it was appropriate, and I think those things are, um, as I've learned from you about how how to preach. Those things are important that come out mm-hmm. that are 
your personal unscripted i mean i didn't have that in my my notes right but that, that's but. you know i take that as you know god's leading you know he's that's something that the church should hear it doesn't always mm-hmm. have to be super scripted and yeah strip you know to the text on those things so i think god uses those kind of tangents as well sometimes even more so than what you <laughs> what you sure. are preaching. so you know Olivia, I think what Mr. Pasek is saying is this text is talking about the kiss of love, which is in a church service, probably between the same sexes as an expression of Christian brotherhood. So it's very limited, right? But there's another kiss that isn't mentioned by Peter that he isn't referring to, but which we know is there, which is the kiss between spouses. And that's definitely romantic. So um, the pastor, which was me in this case, had a heart that said, hey, while we're talking about the kiss of love, just as an aside, there's an implication here for marriage too. There ought to be more than just a peck on the cheek. There should be some passion. What do we talk about? Keep the home fires burning, right, Rich? So I think I used the phrase, the best marriages, or I don't know if I said this, but it was in my mind, the best marriages is where a man still dates his wife even after decades. So that's something just to keep in mind that we do have, there's a a friendly hug, and then there's a romantic hug, and we we know the difference. Um, I didn't want to mention the Spanish girls soccer coach, but if you follow the World (laughs) Cup, Spain won the World Cup, and the Spanish girl soccer coach planted a kiss on the lips of his star player. He's now fired. It's she, actually the um, point of clarification. It's the president of the Soccer Federation of Spain. Ooh, so it wasn't the coach. Not the coach, thank you. So just Anyway, he's out because she claims it wasn't consensual, and I'll, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Uh, this certainly isn't 1950, where maybe that sort of behavior might have been more common. Of course, girls weren't playing soccer in 1950, probably. But you also are coming out of COVID too, though. Yeah, people have changed. Our space needs maybe have been affected, not always for the for the better. But yeah, I was traveling the past two days by plane, and it's amazing how close you are physically to somebody, and yet so far away from them at the same time. Hmm meaning I'm going to literally sit within inches of you and you want to act like I don't exist. And it's a mutual thing, you know, most of the time. It's not like anyone gets... It's not like I'm sitting there frustrated with somebody because they don't want to even make eye contact with me. I do the same thing. But, I mean, when you're, you're, busy reading when your you're literally like, that close to somebody... Hey, what are you reading there? You're, you're basically I'm breathing reading. the same air. Or... You, there's or, no or the ear earbuds mm-hmm. basically say leave me alone right mm-hmm. no kisses here <laughs> <laughs> tim what else do we need to cover we've had a wide-ranging conversation i think we're we haven't ex- and we never exhaust these things no by no any means but um i'm gonna i'm gonna put you on the spot phil okay. I, i'm curious if you could give us our listeners maybe Pick two, two kind of bigger takeaways from First Peter. Since we're wrapping up First Peter, mm. you, you've spent, I mean, you said Peter's like a father to you at this point. So you yeah. spent a tremendous amount of hours 
um, reading reading other people's thoughts on First Peter, so on and so forth, preaching twenty five sermons, mm-hmm. um, doing this podcast <laughs> for, for however eight months on First Peter at this point. So maybe just a couple of nuggets or encouragements of further contemplation or further reading or further consideration about what Peter has taught you and what he's spoken to our church. So thanks for the invitation to give a little precis of my Bible conference talk coming up in, a, in about a month. But First Peter in, in three words, you're born again to a living hope. Live a good and godly life in the midst of this dark world. And it's going to be hard. You're going to suffer, so you need to stand firm in the grace of God. And I would love it if one of our listeners, inspired by that message, would recommit to an in-depth study of First Peter in a small group setting. There may be an intrepid explorer that wants to actually memorize First Peter. It's only you know, a little over 100 verses. So... Um, yeah, that would be my challenge to the listeners and mm-hmm. even to our, our little group here today. No tests on the podcast. <laughs> no tests. No, I'm not going to quiz you. But I think, I think actually, um, I think we forget, or I forgot, how many verses that I learned as a, as a young Christian that I forgot were from First Peter, you know. And you're like, oh, that was in First Peter? Oh, okay. Yeah, all right, I can place it. I won't ever forget that again. But um, so maybe some memorization would be would be a good good and in order. Just so it's so. it's in your mind and you're thinking about it and you're praying ready, about it. Ready recall because the worldly forces hit us quicker than you can feel it. And if the scripture is right there in the forefront of your mind, mm-hmm then you're going to be better prepared to stand firm in the grace of God. Yeah. Any other um, parting thoughts from you on, on First Peter? No, I just want to thank Olivia for bringing your dad. I know you had to drag him kicking and screaming. Um, just a little plug for some father-daughter time. You all are going out to see a movie later this afternoon, kind of end of summer uh, daddy date, so way to go and enjoy. Keep him on his toes. Make him buy you popcorn. And, I will. What, what movie are we seeing? The Meg 2. Oh, this is the... Um, I don't want to say it's not a shark, but it's like a shark. It's bigger than a shark. It's bigger yeah. than a shark. This yeah. makes okay. Jaws look so like did, a play that, that then leads to the follow-up question. Did you see the original The Meg? A lot. A lot. <laughs> she, she forgot how many. I asked her at lunch. She said she'd seen Jaws more times than she could. Remember, oh wow! So okay, they're part of the cult. I don't know what the what is the uh, Rotten Tomatoes score on on the Meg. No idea. Doesn't matter. Yeah, this three D though. Three D. Oh man! So they're getting the full Meg experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, enjoy that. Thanks for coming out. Thanks uh, for having us. Here, hear this as an open invitation, Rich. I know you have to go back to school soon, but if your schedule permits, if you're, you have an open invite, uh, you've given great contributions today for your first time in the podcast. Thank you very much. And Tim, as always, thank you for your loyal uh, trustee silencing of me <laughs> in this. It's and, mutual. And providing me just a regular encouragement, mostly on Mondays, when sometimes the pastor's heart is sagging to be able to talk through 
the the deeper areas of the scripture really does minister to me in fresh and uh, spirit-sent ways. Well, thanks, brother. I feel the same way. It's always, um, I, it's something I look forward to every week or as often as we're able to do it. And even next week when I know you're not preaching this upcoming Sunday, we'll yeah. have a wrap up on the life of Peter, if you will, mm-hmm. um, from uh, Jim Leary. Jim Leary. Yeah, super excited for that. We had a session. We us- I usually do a study session with our guest preachers when I can, unless they're like out of the area or mm-hmm. way above my skill set. But um, we had a nice study session together and he goes, one thing I love about you, Phil, and he was speaking of himself too, is that guys like us, we don't study the Bible just to preach it. We study it because we love it. Mm-hmm. So that's the man that's coming to the pulpit is somebody who really loves the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be good. Mm-hmm. Um, a good, good way to kind of put a cherry on top of, of our study in, so. in Peter. Um, but next week, maybe we can get into what what yeah. lies ahead yeah. in the weeks Some ahead. And, things and in, we, in you mentioned store. the Bible um, conference that we have coming up in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe we could talk a little bit more about that next week as well. All this information's um, obviously on our on our website and and whatnot. So if you have questions about these things, or again, my my usual plug, if you you'd like to take the hot seat um, or it's the not couch, too too hot over there i don't think well it's a warm day today so yeah um but if yeah if you'd like to join us in studio one of these upcoming weeks we'd we'd love to have you and uh i'll just echo what phil said thanks rich and olivia for being here it was wonderful to uh to have you guys as part of the conversation today it was a great great conversation good way to spend a, a lovely afternoon and uh For all of our listeners out there, thanks for hanging in with us. Thanks for joining us again this week. And we hope that you would join us again next week. And we pray that you would would be blessed and be well until then. We'll talk to you next week.